Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away, the, take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who, ha- everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Everyone who commits sin is a child of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born of God do not sin, because God's seed, because God's seed abides in them. They cannot sin, because they have been born of God. The children of God and the children of the devil are revealed in this way. All who do not do what is right are not from God, nor are those who do not love their brothers and sisters. This is the word of the Lord. I am sorry about that scripture. (laughs) Such a beautiful song service to be ruined by scripture. The uh, staff has been on me a little bit about this particular series telling me that I need to have a sermon series title. Um, I've resisted it. I was wrong. I I probably should have. Uh, This this walk through the book of 1 John is trying to do what the walks through the book of Revelation did before, a couple years ago, and then several years ago, actually. The book of 1 John is trying to tell us what we are as a church, why we are what we are as a church, and how to go about being what God dreams for us to be as a church. The questions that are not uh, easily or immediately answered, actually, because there are so many different versions of the church and so many different definitions of success where the church is concerned. And and you have heard me say this before, and I want to say it again today to kind of to serve as something of a backdrop for all that has been said and all that will be said, because Jason takes us up next week, and then there's another three weeks after that, we'll be in 1 John. But I want to say this as a backdrop to give you some context so that you can hear properly the words that are going to be preached today and what's already been said and what's going to be said. You are a tree in a story about a forest. Now, you've heard that before. If you're visiting, we've been saying that for a long time, but, but I want to make sure that it, that it gets home today. You are a tree in a story about a forest. Now, maybe, maybe your experience has been different from mine, but so much of what I have heard growing up um, led me to believe that faith was about me, the tree, me, the tree. So much of the curriculum that has been handed to me as a Sunday school teacher or as a, even as a pastor or preacher, so much of the curriculum handed to me sort of seems to proceed upon the assumption that it's all about the tree, the me, tree. And here's the thing, here's the thing. It's not that it's not 
about the tree. It's that there's more to be said. And the more to be said actually finally gives us the context to understand why it is that we do need to be concerned about our own sin. Why it is that we need to invest in our own individual lives of faith. And hear me say this. Hear me say this. I'm going to say it a couple times. Uh, You absolutely need to be diligent as it has to do with the sin in your life. I do as it has to do with the sin in my life. I've got to do something about it. You, you need to do something about it. But it's not just because somehow we're improving our individualistic resumes so that God will finally not be mad at us and somehow qualify us for something in the hereafter. It's not that I don't believe in the hereafter. I absolutely believe in the hereafter. Hear me say that. And I believe in the work that we need to do as individuals where faith is concerned. I believe in all of that. But there's a backdrop. There's a why to all of that. There's so much that we are working on as we work on ourselves as individuals. Take these two words, for example. This word, sin. This word, sin. It has to do with, um, if it's just about a tree, it has to do with whatever is the disease that afflicts the tree. This, let's say, some sort of dirty spot on the tree. I mean, how do you understand your sin? So many people understand sin as a dirty spot on my soul that I must somehow, in an individualistic sort of universe, that I must somehow deal with or root out or at least claim the sacrifice of Christ so that I can finally have some coverage for it even if I can't actually do anything about it. But that's not us. Sin, sin, we would say in our tradition, It's not that spot on the soul that you can't ever get out, that you can't ever get off. Sin is the distortion of relationship between you and fill in the blank. Sometimes it's one's relationship with oneself that is distorted. Sometimes it's the relationship between you and somebody else. Again, your enemy, your opposite, your irritant. Sin is a relational term. As is this term salvation. Saved. Okay. What do we mean when we say saved? Now, for a lot of people, and again, this is not wrong. There's just more to add. For some people, all it means to be saved is this. I have said the magic words. I have repeated after the person up front. And in so doing, I have claimed Christ's coverage for my sinfulness, and I'm therefore qualified for eternity. For some people, that's all it means. That part's not wrong, it's just that there's a whole lot more. I'm not just saved from something. You've heard me say this too, but I am saved for something. And this is what the author of 1 John would want to say really loudly, I am saved to something. I am saved to something. What we are, who we are, how we do what we do as a church is of the utmost importance. It is of the utmost importance to the author of 1 John. And so let me take another shot at this question. Do I have to go to church to be a Christian? Do I have to go to church to be a Christian? It's a little bit like asking, 
I really want to get married, but does it have to involve another person? I really want to be a married person, but does it have to involve another person? Uh, yeah, it does. In the same sorts of way, when we talk about Christianity and when we talk about faith and when we talk about church, we're not talking about a gathering of individual trees that are working really hard not to have tree diseases. We're talking about a forest, a God-designed, God-authored forest that is the right kind of ecology, the right kind of ecological truth. We're talking about all of us together, imperfectly, imperfectly, all of us together being first fruits, a first indication of what God's eternity will look like. God's eternity has come crashing into the present in the resurrection of Christ. This is super important. Catch this has come crashing into the present in the resurrection of Christ, thereby demonstrating that love can, in fact, be the way that we organize. And if you don't believe it, look at the church. That's the way it's supposed to be. Now, I said imperfectly, even this week, I've had two folks say to me, yeah, it's not working for me. Not here. Sorry about that. Really am. Failure is a part of what we're trying to do here. Now, that sounded funny, didn't it? Mm, failure is a part of what it means to be alive. And so we're trying to do the right, the Christian thing with failure in the light of the resurrection. In the light of the resurrection, where love organizes us, where love rules the day, you deal with failure differently when love is organizing the day than you would if law was ruling the day. You deal with failure differently if law is ruling the day. Hopefully, if you fit that category of people who are maybe desperately disappointed in what you're not getting at church, hopefully, You'll stay long enough to see us deal Christianly with our own failure. This life together um, is also reflective of a book that's had a profound impact on me. It's one of these books that I've read several times. Uh, do, you, do you have books like that? Books that you will read and then you'll reread because it was so good the first time, only to find that you found some things the second and third and fourth. I mean, I don't know how many times I've been through Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together. Who is, in so many ways, talking about what we're talking about? What is a church? How does a church function? And how should a church function? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany in the 30s, early 40s. Uh, during the rise of the Third Reich, his theological filters were such that he could recognize that something bad was happening out there in the oxygen of his culture. But he also recognized that the church was a perfect structure to angle against all that was happening out there in the culture. He also recognized that. But he recognized, he recognized that it was the community 
the way that they lived and loved together, that's what the kingdom needed to look like, and that's what the culture needed the church to be, especially in those times. I just have lifted out some of my favorite quotes from this book to give you some idea of what this guy was like. He says, without Christ, the victory of the resurrection, the victory of love in the resurrection, without Christ, there is discord between man and God and between man and man, but Christ opened up the way to God and to our brothers and sisters. And so he says, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, I'm gonna assume he also meant sister, no matter how much trouble he or she causes me. Whew. Now, this is me taking one of those little pastor tangents that will actually be meddlesome, I promise you. Ready? Here it comes. Who do you not like in the room? Don't point. Oh, my goodness. Please don't point. <laughs> Who is not like you? Who doesn't like you? Who do you suspect likes the candidate that you don't like? <laughs> Some people are like, what? Somebody in here doesn't like the candidate that I like? There's so many ways in which the strength of our community it's measured by your feelings for the person that you hate the most, dislike the most, have the least in common with. Help me remember, they will know we are Christians by our, well, not bad, six of you, seven of you, it's good. They'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. You know me, I, I love to talk about our responsibility to the people outside the walls. And we are not, not talking about our responsibility to the people outside the walls as we have this conversation. But this conversation needs to be distinguished from that conversation in this way. Hey, it is important how you feel about him or her and how you feel about him or her. And really, really, some of the most important Christian work you will do, you will do with the people in other seats in the room right now. I am under the assumption that a church can have theater seats and be a good church. So don't hear me say something other than that. That said, I'm concerned when churches have theater seats. Because you know why? You know where you're most likely to find theater seats? In theaters. You know what you do in theaters? You just sit there. You spectate. That's what you're supposed to do, right? People around you will be annoyed if you get up and try to interact with the movie. <laughs> Don't do that, please. People be annoyed if you try to jump onto the stage. A theater, live theater production, Steve. People will be annoyed if you jump up on the stage and try to become a part of the action. You, you go to a theater to spectate. You do not come to church to spectate. You come to church to love. You come to church to be loved, to learn love, to forgive when there is the lack of love, and then to love all over again. So who do you not love? Because that's your homework. What do you mean, what's my homework? To love the person you don't love. 
I can't get out. Okay, start with like. <laughs> start with kind of can walk by and not take a swing. Then move to lunch. Love. If love isn't, hear this please, if love isn't our defining characteristic, <laughs> then truth won't be. Turn my mic up just a bit. If love isn't our defining characteristic, then truth won't ever be. So the book has already said, the book of 1 John has already said, when we sin, there is somebody there to scoop us up and to forgive us, right? But you just heard Tamara read such awful, hateful words, and it was just hard to even hear her read those words, Tamara being who she is. It was hard. Everyone who sins is a child of the devil. Whoa, that didn't sound good at all. Is he contradicting himself there? No, no, no. Here's what we're talking about in this passage, in this context. When we talk about sin, we talk about you or me worshiping a different God other than the Savior that God raised from the dead, who demonstrates that love is the way that we will be organized in a particular kind of kingdom. If you belong in a different kind of kingdom, even if you go to church most every Sunday, if you worship a different deity, you're the sinner that we're talking about here today. <laughs> and sometimes it's me too, huh? Because not all of the world is organized according to love. Is that fair to say? Not all the world and not all the people who go to church are organized according to love, especially, especially when you let Jesus define love. And by the way, we're supposed to let Jesus define love. So which God are you chasing around? Which God am I chasing around? At the end of that passage, oh, listen to this. Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. Oh. The children of God and the children of the devil are revealed in this way. All who do not do what is right, righteousness always has a relational ring to it in Scripture. All who do not do what is right are not from God, nor are those who do not love their brothers and sisters. In the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, we are not simply forgiven and saved from eternal punishment. In the victory of the resurrection and by the presence of the resurrected Christ via the Spirit, we are enabled <laughs> to live out the priority of love as individual participants, as trees, as individual participants in the body of Christ, as trees in the most beautiful kind of forest. It is the expectation of the author of 1 John that the resurrection of Christ isn't just a get out of hell free card, but that the resurrected Christ, who proves the power and the priority of love, also is just present enough to enable you to live according to love defined by Christ. Did you know that you can go to work and still be organized by love? Did you know 
that you can be in public education and still be organized by the love of Christ? Did you know that you can be an attorney, a police officer, a journalist, a pastor, <laughs> and still be organized to go about your day-to-day-to-day-to-day work, your hour-to-hour life, and still be organized by love as it's defined by Christ. Now, to all these church people, he says, look, we cannot be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Even says in here, look, there's a reason the world hates you. Yeah, there are times when it feels like we're on the outside looking in as church people. It does feel like sometimes we're awkward, right? That's what I want for you, actually. I want you to feel awkward out there because you are organized by love, whereas so many others out there, not all of them, but so many others, are organized by something other than selfless, sacrificial love. And sometimes it's going to feel awkward, and sometimes it's going to feel like hatred, and maybe that's where we do our best work. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. Man, there can be deathly circumstances long before you're dead. Right? But what he's saying here to a church to a church is this. Eternal life is not just innumerable days that you will live on streets of gold. Again, I'm great with all of that. We'll celebrate all of that with you. But it's not just that. Eternal life, especially in these kinds of books, we call this Johannine literature. Eternal life, there is a, a sense of boundlessness to it. In other words, there is this expectation that a group of people that can actually be reorganized and rewired according to love as it's defined by Jesus, there's something about that life that is absolutely contagious. And that kind of life and love will leap over the walls and over the boundaries between people and start to reorganize not just a person, not just a tree, but an entire chunk of the forest and then the whole forest and maybe even an entire church. Now, what kind of love are we talking about? We're about to land this plane, believe it or not. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Reminds me a little bit of Paul's words in Romans 12, right? Offering or actually asking that people would offer their bodies as living sacrifices, right? Now here's the challenge. Sometimes we skip over that because we recognize that we live in Oklahoma City in 2018 and not very often are we asked to die for our faith here in the belt buckle of the Bible belt. And so we feel like these words are for somebody else, probably those very heroic poor souls who are on the other side of the world where actually it can be life-threatening to be a Christian. And you're right. It does have something there for them. Verses like these. 
But the challenge to offer one's life as a living sacrifice, the challenge to lay our lives down for one another is not just about folks who would die, it's also about folks who would live for one another. It's also about folks who would live for one another. Living sacrifices live. For whom are you living? Are you living for yourself? I have to. I mean, I have to. No one else is going to live for me. I mean, defenses are up. Got to. Got to live for myself. Man, there's a death cycle in there. I hear you. I hear you. Hopefully you can find some help and hope and healing. Lots of places, but hopefully here. Have you found your place to serve yet? What do you mean? Do you mean outside of these walls or here? Well, both, but I am asking about here. Is that important? Yeah. It's hard to be a resurrection community. It's hard to be a group of people organized and animated by love. It is heavy. <laughs> it's heavy work. I appreciate what's happening, Lee. Thank you for leading the way to... Pat us on the back, I appreciate it. it. It can be hard, heavy work, because I recognize, what you recognize, that so much of the culture is angled in a different way, organized in different sorts of ways, and we come here and with straight faces try to say, no, 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 I'm serious. God raised Jesus from the dead, and love wins. That's, that's hard work. It's hard work. And we need your help. Beyond that, you helping is really good for you. <laughs> it's really good for you. In fact, lots of pastors who preceded me here even have said things like this. Man, we hope that you are meaningfully involved in worship. Man, we hope that you are meaningfully involved in smaller group sorts of things so that you can know and be fully known. And wow, we really hope that you find your place to plug in because we think it is in all of that that you are slowly but surely saved to something, saved for something, and yes, saved from something. But I really think you need it all. I really think you need all of it. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help little children? And really, he's talking about church folks, and he's talking about folks who would then reinvest themselves in the church. Ready for this? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech. We've got plenty of words. but in truth and action. 
we have some folks who do this very well, very well. I'm going to honor one of those families today who have for ages done this very, very well. Do you recognize uh, these people? That is some of the finest red hair you will see anywhere in the country. <laughs> these folks get it. They love so well, and not with just words and speech, but in tangible, skin-on sorts of ways. I mean, gracious. I don't know how that first picture got in there. Look at that. Dana is on our staff serving families with infants, with babies, and has been for a long time. We always love it when new families come in and they bounce off of Dana. We're like, we'll get, if we get Dana to them, we'll keep them. We'll get them. Steve is like a walking blank check. I'm sorry, Steve, but it's what it seems like. He's a guy who says, what do you need? Which has gotten him in a lot of trouble. From outposts which is a weekly cookout for apartment neighborhoods, to Cactus, which is our middle school mission trip, <laughs> to Toronto, to driving the, the bus for, I mean, Steve is a walking yes. Man, we benefit from the example of the Stark family, not just because they say yes, not because they, they put in what would otherwise be billable hours and don't charge us. <laughs> we benefit because they put skin and flesh on what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. Would you help me welcome to the platform all of the Starks. here a Distinguished Service Award, and it's only right that I have Lisa and Mike and Zach up here because <laughs> uh, there's some chance that Lisa and Mike and Zach wouldn't be up here if not for the Stark family, so it just makes all the sense in the world to have these three up here. But I also want you to hear me say that I recognize that when you live as sacrificially as you guys do, there's a price to be paid, and sometimes it's been your kids who have paid it. And so, this Distinguished Service Award is for all of you. We made, a very, uh, we made a point to say it's not just for mom and dad, it's for the Stark family singers, right? It's for all of you, right? And so, uh, I want to read this. Thank you. Your OKC First Family is full of gratitude for your loving faithfulness to Christ and his church. Made out to Stephen, Dana, Steve, Tyler, Kevin, and Riley. Thank you for your presence and service throughout the years. Now, this does not mean you can retire. <laughs> we are looking forward to the next 50 years of your service here <laughs> amongst us. And here's the thing. 
and I did mean that to be funny. I tried it out on a <laughs> test audience before. But here's the thing. I, it may be, though, because my suspicion is that you have allowed yourselves, mom and dad, to be wired in ways that cause your future generations to be wired in certain ways. It's not accidental that our most recent addition to the nonprofit staff is Reverend Tyler Stark. So maybe it will be the next 50 years in one way or another, in one way or another. We love you guys and we're better because of you and you show us something about Christ with skin on and living sacrifices that maybe we wouldn't see otherwise. Thank you very much. Come on, come deep in. Just hug them out. Just hug them out. Okay, now, uh, this part we haven't mentioned to them just yet, but we are going to interview them at the harvest dinner. <laughs> sorry. Did I, did I forget to say anything about that? I'm sorry about that. But also that night, and also that night, and it won't just be them, we'll have one other family that we're really looking forward to as well, and that night... It will be a great night at a harvest dinner where we, sell, where we actually organize to be people of gratitude, right? That night, we're going to make it possible for you to say, man, I really appreciate you. You may not even know them by name so that you can come up and say, hey, thank you for this. But even that night, that night, you, even you will have an opportunity to say, thank you for showing me. I've heard about what this all looks like, but now I can see it. So on that night, with this family and one other that's coming up, you'll have an opportunity to say, thank you for making us, us. One more hand for the Stark family. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Eucharist means Thanksgiving. What a perfect time for us to say thank you, to say thank you that God would continue to put skin and flesh and what it looks like to love as Christ loves. So if you're helping us to set this table, please come. And let's go ahead and get ready to remember and practice this Thanksgiving. Heavenly Father, bless these elements, this bread and this cup. And with it, God, strengthen us to be your people. Strengthen us, God, to love. Strengthen us to forgive. Strengthen us to serve. In other words, God, may we in this ritual be so reminded of the love, of the forgiveness, of the serving sacrifice of our Savior that somehow it gets on us and gets into us and at least in a small way moves us toward Christ-likeness. Father, pray specifically for those people who aren't feeling it today. For the lonely amongst us who might have words of criticism, critique, because they haven't felt it just yet. Two things, God. Help us to be more and more aware of the needs and the people around us. And also, God, as we partake 
with the very symbols of love and forgiveness, would you help us to love and forgive? Keep bringing us back, Lord. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pews to the left, and then to come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts. Your hands cupped, that's an important component of this whole thing. It's grace. It's how it comes to you. It's grace. You'll walk towards somebody, somebody holding a plate of bread, and when you get there, that person will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup. Someone standing nearby will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then, if you would, find a place to pray. Find a place to pray. Now, we have several different places that you can pray. You can circle right back around and pray at your seat. And many people will elect to do that. It's perfectly fine. Some people will elect to come to these front padded altars. If you are sick or hurt, if you are in need of healing of a physical nature, mental, emotional nature, a relational kind of healing, then that prayer for healing will be prayed for you. One over here, and one over here. Debbie, will you take this altar over here? And uh, Ken, will you take this altar over here? Or maybe you will come to one of these kneeling benches up front. If you do, here's the thing. We won't assume anything. We won't assume why you're there, but at some point, somebody very well could come by. And if I'm unable to do it, please, church, because I'm gonna be with somebody praying for healing. If I'm unable to do it, take it upon yourself to make sure that someone in a tangible way knows that he, that she is not alone. Please. If you want to, please make the special trip up here and dip your fingers into this water and may the chill of this water remind you that you have been saved to something to this particular forest who is eligible to come all of you who understand your need for grace are eligible even if you messed up this morning maybe especially if you messed up this morning you are welcome at this table if you know your need for grace you can't come to us Jason and Zach will come to you. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, and blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat of it, remember me. Later on, he would take the cup, hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. Now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God for the people of God.